TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is That Paleo Show with your hosts, Stephanie Wozalik, Dr. Yana James, and Dr. Brett Hill. Welcome to That Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Stephanie Wozlick. I'm Dr. Yana James. And I'm Dr. Brett Hill. And this week we're talking about alcohol. So fun. This is, uh, <laughs> this is a topic that I guess can get pretty personal for a lot of people uh, in the paleo world. I think we all kind of know that alcohol isn't necessarily paleo, but uh, it's a lot of people do still drink it or don't drink it. And there's a lot of kind of mixed feelings about how to go about it in the best way. Yeah, yeah, we certainly get asked about it a lot, don't we? Yeah, and it's always a tricky one. I tell you what, anytime you come up in a seminar and either start talking about the adverse effects from alcohol or the adverse effects from coffee, generally the audience just kind of goes quiet. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone crosses their arms. <laughs> you can just see this, no, don't take my coffee or alcohol away from me. <laughs> so I'm sure there's people listening thinking the same thing. But... Oh, yeah, I've been one of them, right? So, yeah. you know. <laughs> well, and we're going to talk about the health, the health effects of alcohol, but a lot of the philosophical side of it as well, because obviously that ties into it yeah yeah so i might kick off in this one because i've i've sort of got a bit of a story around alcohol i actually haven't had a drop of alcohol well actually that's not entirely true i haven't had a drink really for about seven or eight years um aside from i actually have had a sip of alcohol at a toast at my grandmother's funeral and a sip of alcohol at a toast at my grandfather's funeral and that, that is the only about alcohol i've had in that seven or eight years time um and so it, it was a real journey for me sort of deciding that i wasn't going to drink anymore that i was going to become a non-drinker and it really it started for me, I guess, with the fact that you know, as a late teenager, early twenties, uh, I was probably quite a big drinker. You know, I had a social circle of friends that really revolved a lot around drinking. We'd go out three or four nights a week. We'd have a big night. We'd play lots of drinking games, and and really a, a huge component of our social interaction and our lifestyle was really very much based around alcohol. And um, obviously, I started on my journey of becoming a chiropractor and learning more about health and wellness and. It just got to the stage where I kind of went, well, this just isn't congruent anymore. You know, I'm spending all this time researching chiropractic. I'm spending all this time looking at the other aspects of my diet and what I'm doing. And, um, you know, it just doesn't make sense to be doing that and then going out and kind of binge drinking on the weekend. Like, it just wasn't congruent. It wasn't something I felt comfortable with. And so I sort of thought, well, I'm going to have to make a change here. And so for me, that meant that, you know, I had a few periods as I was going through uni where I just wouldn't drink. So I'd sort of say to myself, well, you know, from now for the next 10 weeks till the end of exams, I'm just going to not drink. And I probably did that over, I don't know, six, eight, ten times. Um, and what I found was that was really hard. So for me, not drinking for six or eight or ten weeks was a real challenge. And it, it was really difficult. So um, once again, particularly getting out to those social situations, catching up with friends, all that sort of stuff. It was like, ow, oh, what do I do? I'm not drinking. Can I still have fun? You know, that whole <laughs> sort of thing. And so, um, so I found that really challenging. But... The other thing I did notice is that I felt great. Right? So as I was going through that, even though I was in exam time and I was kind of stressed and had lots of work, I was my thinking was so much clearer. I had so much more energy. My body felt better. Um, I had more money. <laughs> that was a huge <laughs> thing. It was like saving a fortune. And I kind of went, this actually really works for me. Like maybe this is something I should do. And so after doing that for you know over and over and over again, I think I just got to the stage where I went, right, I'm just going to stop drinking. So I'm just going to become a non-drinker. And the, the interesting thing about that for me was that was so much easier than giving up for a while. Like I found giving up for a while really hard. It was like, 
I think all of my friends saw it as a challenge, a personal challenge to them. was like, <laughs> so you're not going to drink for a while, hey? Let me test you. Here's a beer. Like, I literally people would buy me drinks and sit them under my face and like, just go, go on, go on, go on. Whereas when I just said, look, I don't drink, people would go, oh, okay, like you're an undrinker, no worries, whatever, and, and moved on. Um, and what I also realized was that I could still do all of the things that I previously thought I had to have alcohol to do. <laughs> so, you know, I was a pretty shy person growing up. So I think, it, you know, I, I would use alcohol to communicate with people to, to be able to sort of open up and be a bit more social and have some more fun. And, you know, I'd use alcohol to go out and dance because and, I love dancing. And I, I found that when I was drunk, I was, you know, found that a lot easier. And, um, and I'd use <laughs> alcohol to relax and to unwind. And so... But what I realized was that I can actually do all of those things without the alcohol. Like, it, you know, the first time I think I went out and went dancing completely sober, I was like, okay, this is weird. <laughs> but after that, I was like, kind of got into it. I realized that actually, do you know what? Everyone else around me was too pie-eyed to realize that I was sober. And so I may as well just make an idiot of myself anyway. <laughs> and no one's even going to notice, um, which is what I decided to do. I decided just to go out and be silly and have fun anyway. And if that meant, you know, jumping up and dancing on a table, well, I'd do it. And and so I just started having fun and realized that actually I wasn't actually missing out on anything by not drinking at all, um, but I was gaining a whole bunch of stuff in terms of the health benefits, the difference for my clarity of thought, um, you know, a whole range of different things I was gaining. And, and probably one of the biggest things I know we'll talk about I gained is I think the ability to deal with my problems properly rather than masking them with alcohol. And when I was having a bit of a bad day or I was tired or whatever, I started dealing with that stuff much more appropriately, which was really interesting. Yeah, definitely. I know um, we've got a quote which is which is pretty old, but um, the quote that we've got here is, because of the many obvious health hazards of alcohol and because the benefits of alcohol are small and ill-understood, the recommendation to be a light drinker is not only meaningless but also irresponsible. And that's the Journal of the Royal Society of Medicine. So that's a, it's a bit of an older one. Yeah, that was an old one. And that was probably one of the... That quote, I think, was the one that really stuck in my head. Like when I got to this stage where I thought, oh, this alcohol stuff doesn't feel congruent for me anymore, um, I started doing the research and started discovering all of these adverse effects of alcohol. And I sort of started looking for the benefits and went, do you know what? The benefits don't seem that impressive to me. This list isn't floating my boat, but the list of... Um, Adverse effects was pretty significant. And so when I read that quote, that really got to me. I was like, you know what? That makes sense to me. Like I'm, I'm doing all this for these tiny benefits, which actually I can probably get those benefits by doing other things uh, without having to expose myself to all these risks. Yeah, definitely. Um, we've got an updated quote, and this is from the Victorian government, Australian mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and Victoria is a state in Australia, yep, for any, any uh, international listeners. So um, recent scientific evidence suggests that the potential for health benefits may, be, may have been overestimated in earlier studies. Possible benefits need to be balanced against the risk of cirrhosis, which is liver disease, uh, some cancers and other disease, which become greater with increased alcohol consumption. The same benefits do not extend to younger people. Drinking alcohol can affect how the brain develops in people under the age of 25, which is a pretty big shocker, yeah. considering our legal age to drink is 18. Um, teenagers under 15 years of age are particularly at risk. So I'm, I'm, I'm lucky I grew up in Malaysia. I was pretty sheltered, so there definitely was no underage drinking for me. But I know a lot of the people I went to school with were, you know, quite proud of themselves at how young they started having the, not like going out and binging and having an entire case, but definitely a few drinks at a party and so proud of that. Um, so when you look back at that and go, geez, that was actually affecting how their brain wired itself and is going to have an impact for life. That's kind of scary. Yeah. And I, I guess I did go through my period of 
being a non-drinker as well. And that was my first couple years of university uh, where I, I did just tell people, <laughs> I know it's shocking, but I had, I had a friend who also didn't drink at the time and um, we're, we're good friends now, but it just, that was, it was really hard being in your first year of university when, and, and we were still underage at that time. So with everyone around you being like, yeah, we're going out, we're going drinking, like got fake IDs, like all this stuff. It was really hard to, to have to tell people like, no, I don't drink. And yes, like, sure, I'll go out, but I'm not going to be drinking. Um, but I did start drinking later on, like, uh, I don't know, maybe I was 20 when I first started drinking. Uh, I'm not sure, but I can't, I can't really remember. It wasn't, obviously wasn't really that memorable. Um, but never, never, never a, a heavy drinker. So yeah, I tell you, for me, like I start thinking about the amount of alcohol I did drink in that gap between 15 and 25 years of age. And, and for me, and I think for a lot of other people, particularly here in Australia, that that's a really, that's the age where probably people are drinking the most, particularly doing the most binge drinking. So, you know, that might explain a lot for me that, you know, <laughs> the brain function might not be as good as it perhaps could have been. So um, that's kind of scary. But, you know, there's also a lot of other health effects um, that, that are linked with alcohol. So, you know, obviously... I guess there's the ones that people tend to think of are the ones that are often linked to the real excessive consumption of alcohol. So they think about, you know, liver damage, they think about DNA damage, um, breast cancer is one that's really strongly implicated there. Um, but I guess, you know, there's a lot of other studies showing that there's stuff that can be affected even at lower levels. So it's not just when you're having, you know, the high binge drinking, high levels of alcohol. Um, you know, you can have low to moderate levels of alcohol intake have been associated with brain atrophy, right? So that's, that's literally cells in your brain dying. You know, that's, that's not a good thing because um, we know that those brain cells are not easily replaced, if, if replaced at all. Um, there's also a linear relationship between alcohol intake and death below the age of 60, right? So that means that if you drink a lot, then there's a large chance of dying below 460 or a large increase. If you drink a little, there's still a change. There's still an increase in your risk of dying below the age of 60. So, wow. you know, it's not just the high levels of alcohol intake that, that cause problems. Um, it's the lower levels as well. Yeah, I was going to add, I, um, I, <laughs> you're talking about not drinking at uni. I, I, I probably was a bit of a binge drinker when I finished school, but then I moved out of home and I couldn't afford to drink when I went through university. It wasn't until I moved to South Australia and discovered our wine region that I really started um, drinking a lot more alcohol than I ever had in my life. And so, um, you know, it's something that I guess we're talking about. There's so many different um, levels of where people are at. And I've, I don't really drink much, but I've definitely been cutting down and I've just done whole 30. And uh, what was really surprising for me was, um, when I wanted to have a drink and as Brett was saying, you know, it, it for, when you're not doing that, it forces you to actually look at the reason you were trying to use mm. that particular thing to deal with, with stressful situations or celebrations. Like, you know, I, I think I've mentioned in the previous podcast, mine was all about wanting to celebrate a certain event and, and, you know, have a glass of wine, but, um, doing whole 30 couldn't. So it was really interesting. And, and I think really important for people to realize, um, anyway, I've probably jumped ahead a bit, but the, the philosophy of, of drinking and, or not even the philosophy, but the, the mentality and the headspace of why, um, one wants to drink when we clearly know there's a lot of health risks and a lot of bad stuff that goes on with, with drinking alcohol. Yeah, and I think to a large degree this comes back to, for me, it's kind of the difference between, I guess, the short-term reward versus the longer-term reward. And uh, actually, we spoke about this just recently on the Wellness Guys when we were talking about desserts, and it's kind of the same thing. But it's, it's the idea that, oh, if I drink this alcohol right now, it's going to make me feel good right now, which is often true. You know, often you're like, there, hey, you're partying, you're feeling great, you're like, you know. Um, having said that, as I said, what I've found is I can get that same mindset without actually having the alcohol, because yeah. often it's just 
the way your mindset changes because of the alcohol, but you can change your mindset anytime yeah, you like. It's like a placebo, right? Um, so, <laughs> sugar pill. so there is that short-term benefit, but you may or may not need the alcohol to do that. But then there's the longer-term detriment, right? And the obvious one of that is like the next morning when you wake up and go, I'm never drinking again, right? <laughs> but, but there's also the other long-term health effects that we've just spoken about. And so it's about looking at, you know, looking at what you really want. You know, are you really... Because if you're using alcohol as a reward... Are you really rewarding yourself, right? Are you really rewarding yourself by getting instant gratification now and feeling crap tomorrow and next week and you know possibly the rest of your life if you keep continuing that behavior? Yeah. Is that really a reward? Because to me, the way I now think about it, I think of that as a punishment, not a reward, right? <laughs> yeah. So I think, well, if I really want to reward myself, why don't I go out and do something that's really fun and healthy, right? So why don't I go out to that nightclub, have a ball with my mates and not drink, still dance on the table and make a fool out of myself and have a great night? but also feel good the next day and the next week and the next year, wouldn't that be more rewarding for me than actually going out and having a great night tonight but feeling crap tomorrow and next week? Yeah, yeah but how do you look at that then, uh, just playing the other side of the thing, like we're talking a lot about binge drinking here, but how do you look at it when it's just someone who wants a glass of wine with dinner or, you know, that happens, you know, three, four, five, six, seven times a week. Like how do you, you know, you're, you're still not getting the... You're not getting that like necessarily huge buzz and like big party night and stuff, but we're still seeing definitely ill health effects with that type of drinking. Yeah, but wouldn't you say that similar to someone saying, I want some ice cream or chocolate after my dinner or with, you know, as a dessert? It's, it's, to me, it's the same sort of mentality. You know, you're not doing it for health. I know we used to be told a glass mm. of red wine a day is beneficial to your health, but it's not. Like that study said, the, the Victorian government said it, we overestimated the benefits of it. And, you know, when we're talking about things like resveratrol, which is one of the main things that we're told to have red wine for, um, where else do you think you might be able to get resveratrol? Uh, how about uh, grapes? You know, just go and eat a bunch of grapes. Yeah, eat a bunch of grapes. It's it's not like the alcohol makes a, a difference to you getting those antioxidants. You can get them elsewhere. And definitely from my perspective, you know, alcohol is fermented fructose. It's a fermented sugar. So you know you've heard me talk about endocrine system and the hormonal influence of what we eat. Well, alcohol is a sugar. And it, it's like Nora Gouda said in our interview last week that it's like putting lighter fluid on, on the fire and really ramping up your body's burning and means that you're going to have to constantly be fueling yourself with, with more energy, more fuel. Yeah, and well, it's about eating real food, right? That's so, it. like, think about all the processing that had mm. to go into making that wine. Like, even if you're making the wine in your in your basement, you know, you're still it still involves a lot of processing. You might as well just eat the grapes to begin with—a nice whole food that's still alive, that still um, contains like all the vitamins that you expect it to, yeah. without all of the ill effects and yeah. the sugars and. Yeah, and I know we we like fermented food, and I know that alcohol is a fermented product, but it doesn't fit into that fermented food category, like you know, sauerkraut. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and, and the other thing they obviously talk about in terms of the benefit of the alcohol is the, you know, decreased risk of heart disease. And mm. so, you know, basically the way it does that is by decreasing your blood clotting, right? Which sounds great, right? Decrease your blood clotting, decrease your risk of heart disease. But then you think about it and go, well, why was my body clotting in the first place? Like, why does my body have that ability to clot in the first place? Maybe that's important. You know, maybe that stops me from having bleeding. You know, maybe that... And so you look at the studies and they, what they show is that you get a decreased risk of heart disease, but you get an increased risk of stroke to counterbalance that, Right. So you've got to kind of think, well, okay, once again, it comes back to the idea that my body's intelligent. My body does stuff for a reason. And taking a drug to change that, and, and this is, you know, it is a drug. It's having this effect it on is. your body. It's changing your body's ability to clot. It's just like taking, you know, anti-clotting medications. 
you know, is that a healthy thing? Would we give the entire population anti-clotting medications because some people might have a heart disease? Would that be a sensible thing to do? You know, I think Hello. not. Right? So, <laughs> I think we're doing it though. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. It seems to be this sort of implicit thing that, you know, particularly I think in Australia, I don't know, maybe some of our overseas listeners can jump on Facebook and tell us the differences there, but it's almost like promoted here that, you know, they say you shouldn't have any more than two glasses of alcohol a day, but it always comes across when they say it like you should have a glass or two of alcohol every day. Like mm. it's almost like they're saying, yeah, you've got to do this because it's going to be better for you to do it than not. And, uh, and so I think implicitly that's kind of the message because we've got such a society that has such an ingrained drinking culture um, that for many people, the, the concept of not drinking, and, and I've certainly experienced this, for many people, the concept of not drinking in our culture is just weird. Like They're just like, what? Mm. Like, you don't drink? Like What's wrong with you? And, and the funny thing, like, often they'll assume that I'm a recovering alcoholic. Um, they, they just assume that, well, if you don't drink at all, you must have had an alcohol problem and that's why you stop. Uh, or that I've got some sort of disease that prevents me, or I'm on some sort of medication that prevents me from drinking alcohol. Like They, they just can't get their head around the fact that I might actually choose to not drink alcohol. Mm-hmm. And, and even if they can get their head around that, then they assume that I'm like... Um, you know, denying myself that I'm kind of into this self-punishment thing where I'm just like <laughs> denying myself just to prove a point. They, they cannot get their head around the fact that I'm actually choosing not to drink alcohol for myself because I know that I feel better and I get more benefit from not drinking than I do from drinking. Like that concept, just people just yeah. can't get their head around it. It's yeah. quite interesting. Yeah. yeah, well, it's worth talking about um, about how this works with alcoholics as well because I, and look, I can't remember exactly where I read this. It might have been Primal Body, Primal Mind. It might have, I can't remember where I read this. But it was a really interesting comparison about the, the sugar in alcohol. So when alcoholics quit drinking, they actually go through this massive, massive sugar withdrawal. So it's not an alcohol, I'm doing air quotes, it's not an alcohol withdrawal. It's a sugar withdrawal. Um, and amazing. Yeah. And that makes so much sense. So incidentally, you know, you go to these AA meetings and you get donuts and you get coffee and you get muffins and all of this stuff. It's not actually, you, you of course have improved your health by getting rid of the alcohol aspect of things, but you haven't actually improved your health in that the real underlying problem is the sugar addiction. Mm. So it's, it's that addiction to the sugar that really causes a lot, a lot of the problems. So relapses for alcoholics tend to be really related to the sugar. Um, so, so you mean if people are continu- they're replacing the alcohol with sugar and not completely cutting that out that they tend to relapse more? Well, I would think so. And also just, I mean, imagine if you're drinking, if you, even if you're eating the same amount of sugar as you usually do, mm. but then cut back like tons and tons of alcohol, your oh, body right. would still have a lot less sugar than it is maybe mm. used, used to. Yeah, with. That definitely fits with me giving up sugar in that um, if I'm still having a bit, that craving's still there, whereas when you actually cut it out completely, then it, you just mm-hmm. don't even think about it anymore. So yeah. it makes sense that if it's giving you that same, well, a similar pathway to your brain or you at least were getting that pathway amplified by the sugar and alcohol, that when you cut the alcohol out, you're going to have that same craving scenario going on and, and i know you've spoken before yana about the damage caused by alcohol you know a lot of that actually being more so about the sugar and the fructose yeah, than definitely. actually the the alcohol itself that's right yeah so um robert lustig talks about um fructose he's this uh, really long youtube video um on it and he basically says you know the the biggest damage that happens to our body from sugar is actually from the fructose component um and i i i think it's 
I think there's many components of sugar that are the harmful. But um, with with fructose, what happens with fructose that the the molecule it actually has to go to your liver to be broken down. So it doesn't raise your blood sugar. It doesn't go into your bloodstream and and get stuck to blood vessel walls and damage nerve endings like glucose does. But it goes to your liver and gets broken down into fatty acids, which tend to deposit immediately in the liver and or around your gut, which is why you get a beer belly and also a wheat belly. If we want to talk to William Dave or we'll talk about William Davis there. Um, so fructose tends to deposit around the gut area and around the level of the liver, which is just under the, the bastard, just on, you know, just near your rib cage there. Um, and, uh, so it gets deposited in the liver and deposited in the, in the immediate adipose tissue, tissue around there. And then it also liberates some uric acid, which we, when you have a buildup of that, that leads to a condition called gout, which we tend to associate with alcoholics and people who overuse alcohol. But we also see it in people who overuse sugar, who have way too much sugar. And, and that is that fructose component still liberating the urea and still raising that acid in, in joint linings and causing a destruction of cartilage and hell loads of pain it's not a pleasant thing to have so definitely makes sense that you you know if you're looking at cutting out all the other sugars and then still having alcohol you're not doing yourself any favors there yeah and i think that acidity is a really important point when we start talking about alcohol as well because we know that our modern diets are far too acidic um, largely because of the processed sugars and fructose and Mm. carbs that's in the diet and so we know that alcohol then is increasing that acidity and compounding that and so you know, that, that has a range of effects right throughout the body, but the primary ones are if, you, if your body is too acidic, your body's got to try and neutralize that. And the primary ways it does that is by re- removing calcium from your bones. Right, obviously, that's really important. We talk a lot about osteoporosis now. And then also removing magnesium from your muscles. Right? And magnesium is really important for relaxing your muscles. I think we've spoken about this before, yeah, yeah. but it's worth mentioning again. Um, so that means that you can get tight and tense muscles, but not just your skeletal muscles, headaches. but also, yeah, well, definitely headaches. headaches and cramps. Uh, but because the reason why it can link in with the headaches is because it doesn't just affect the skeletal muscles, it affects all of the other muscles as well, including your blood vessels. So that's going to constrict your blood vessels, which can link in with the headaches, but it also means that your heart's having to work harder. So, you know, digestive stuff. Yeah, digestive yeah, stuff. So, so it's so really much. having a raft of effects, that acidity right throughout your body, which is really important. Um, one of the other things I really wanted to talk about as well is, is the clouded judgment factor. You know, I think when we look into um, you know, alcohol-related deaths and injury and disability in, this, in Australia, but also you know, all around the world, what we also need to consider is the, the sort of injuries and problems that occur, um, you know, emotional problems, all sorts of things that occur as a result of bad decisions made when under the influence of alcohol. So you know, everything from um, you know, uh, perhaps unplanned pregnancies through to car accidents through to you know, uh, physical traumas and injuries, you know, there's a whole range of stuff that goes on uh, because of this clouded judgment factor as well. And I think that's something that really often isn't considered and, um, and everyone kind of thinks, oh, it's not going to happen to me. Uh, but, it's, but it's really underrated in terms of the effect of alcohol in our society as well, I think. Yeah, it definitely does happen. I can speak from experience there. Um, so, look, uh, another thing that... that or fascinated me when I was, um, sorry, a bit teary here, um, talking about uh, women drinking alcohol when they're pregnant because you sort of still get told that you can have a little bit here and there and that's not going to be too much harm. But the issue is that actually in terms of um, outcome to the baby, it's almost more dangerous to have alcohol than it is mm. to smoke, which, you know, I'm not advocating smoking <laughs> at all. No way. I think that's absolutely stupid as well. But the thing is that the way that the fetus develops, the way that the baby develops, if you have alcohol at exactly the 
time that that neurological system is developing you can cause a whole raft of things and there's no way for you to know when it's safe and when it's not and which part of the baby's developing um, because that alcohol is going to pass in through the um through the mum into the baby and, and cause damage there so you know obviously smoking is terrible but alcohol is not one that you should be dabbling with here and there it still has huge ramifications yeah well we just spoke about the dangers of alcohol in terms of brain development for people under the age of 25 mm -hmm. you know and then how much more important it was for people under the age of 15, 15. Yeah. well imagine what it's like for a, for a baby for an undeveloped fetus i mean that's just gonna be i mean obviously you've got the blood brain barrier there to help protect a little bit but there's still alcohol getting across there i mean can you imagine getting your six month old and giving them a you know giving them some alcohol i mean you just wouldn't do it right um so it's really important during pregnancy it's also really important when you're breastfeeding because it has a huge impact when you're breastfeeding as well um, particularly on um, on the milk letdown, it can actually affect mum's ability to produce breast milk, which is really important because we know um, you know how important that is and how how vital that breast milk is and how good that is for their nourishment, their development, their brain, all of those sort of things. Um, but also because once again, it can cross that barrier, and you could be giving your little kid alcohol. I mean, that's that's not something we want to be doing. Yeah, I know there's definitely a, a, a mother's remedy or a grandma's remedy of having a stout beer while you breastfeeding to help settle a baby's colic or some, oh, something ridiculous. I'm not sure what it is, but just don't. But there's a lot of other ways that you can settle a baby that don't involve drugging it. Yeah. So. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think anything that we've shared today is necessarily new. I'm not mm. sure that all of you out there, especially listening to the show, have been drinking, saying like, oh, it's because, you know, it's not that bad for me. Like, I think we all kind of know, maybe we don't know to a certain degree how, how dangerous it can be. But we talked briefly before about the emotional side of it. So mm. I know for me, I, I, I've never really drank that much. But when I started to you know, have a full-time job and be able to afford it, like Yana said, um, that's when I started, you know, mixing cocktails. And we had a nice cocktail cupboard in our, at our house. And when friends came over, we could make them cocktails. And it was just like <laughs> a, f a fun thing to do. But because um, it just kind of... It almost seems like an entitlement, right? Like when you start to live on your own, it's the adult thing to do. And, and it just, it turns into that. Now, when I moved to Australia, I found out that like liquor is really expensive, <laughs> um, like a lot more expensive. And, you know, moving here, we didn't have all our, our right. mixes and stuff like we usually do. So, but I moved to Adelaide, which is amazing wine region. So it's actually turned into a cultural thing for me. So I've never drank wine at all before coming to Australia. And now that I'm here, it's like, oh, let's go to this wine region for the weekend and, you know, taste wine because it's free. You can go to these wineries and taste wine and you come back with some nice bottles and then you remember the trip that you had. And it's like, it ends up being this really, like, I, I wouldn't say I drink for emotional reasons. I don't, well, I guess I do, but I, I mean, for, it's not like I'm trying to get rid of my problems or I'm trying to, you know, relax or anything, but it ends up being that, that social thing and I know you guys have had similar experiences but definitely it's because of that that it makes it so hard to give up I think we've told you all the dangers of wheat and you know you tend to be like oh yeah that's not good for me so I'll get rid of it but people really really struggle with alcohol yeah, yeah. I guess it might be worthwhile I guess spending a little bit of time then talking about alternatives right so what do you do if you're not going to drink because I know for me when I was sort of going through research I was like well what do I do like how do I go out how do I you know, how do I socialize without drinking? Like it was actually, you know, for me, that was quite a barrier. And so I guess, you know, what it came down to is I think just firstly being okay with that. Like you, you have to be okay with your decision. You have to be strong enough to say, well, you know, I'm doing this for me. This is not about you. It's about me. And I've got my own reasons for doing this. I know what they are. 
you know, I've got, I think, I guess the, the real thing is having a big enough why, having a big enough purpose as to why you would drink and, and, and why you would not drink. And once you have that real purpose there, I think that makes it a whole lot easier. Um, and I find for me, you know, really, so long as I've got something in my hand, it actually makes it a lot easier for whatever reason. It's like, if I've got a glass of water in my hand, it, it makes the whole thing, you know, people don't tend to come up and try and offer you a drink or hassle you about drinking or whatever. If you've got something in your hand, even if you don't drink it all night, <laughs> they're, they're happy with that, that you're standing yeah. there holding something. It's funny, isn't it? Um, and then, you know, for those special occasions, you know, it might be that you're just going to make some mocktails. You know, you might just make some awesome, amazing drinks or, um, you know, it might even be, you know, instead of the, the cocktail, it might be like a... A slushy sort of thing, you know, with some berries and some ice and some coconut milk and, you know, whatever. But you can still have this amazing stuff that seems like a real treat and it's a real delicacy and, you know, you're having a great time and everyone's enjoying it. You know, you can do that without having to have the alcohol in there. Yeah, and I know um, over the past year I've had a couple of friends who weren't drinking, so when they came over, um, we'd maybe be having our wine and I would always make sure that there was an alcohol-free option. And my favorite go-to thing was making some, like, nice iced teas. So you can, doesn't, I don't mean like just iced tea. I mean like, let's take some herbal teas and put it in a jug and then with some fruit or some, some whatever. And that was always a real treat. Like that was always gone, honestly, by, you know, early on in the night, I'd be frantically making some more because that would, that would really be popular. Well, that's, that's kind of the interesting thing is that when you do that, people love it. Like you think they're going to be like, oh, where's my alcoholic drink? But actually they kind of go, well, this is new. This is different. This is fun. And they kind of really get into it. I mean, I know when I opened my practice, we actually did that. We had the whole launch party and we had mocktails at the launch party and we had a great chef who made these really awesome organic mocktails. They're amazing. And everyone was just like, wow, this is incredible. Like these taste so good. I can't believe they're not even alcoholic, you know. And, and they actually loved the fact that it was just something different, you know, which was kind of cool. And yeah. we've talked about this before. People, like, if no one's drinking, yeah. then you actually have a better party in the sense that people aren't, like, passing out yeah. and yeah. they're, they're you don't not have those grumpy. boring, repetitive yeah. conversations yeah. at the end of the night. Yeah, no <laughs> one has headaches. <laughs> yeah, look, so we've talked about what to do if you're not drinking. Um, we probably don't have time to go into the details of what to do if you decide not to completely give it up. But Rob Wolf, in his book, uh, The Paleo Solution, has a good page or two on, I think he's called the chapter, I Like to Boogie, which is kind of, <laughs> that's really kind of Rob Wolf. I nice. love how he writes. He's got such what a conversational. Be awesome. yeah. <laughs> so he talks about um, going for the spirits, tequila, he thinks is the best, have it with lime juice because that blocks some of the insulin release, uh, and then having it with soda water so that the carbonated, carbonation gets into your system faster he says have it earlier in the night don't have alcohol late in the night because it's going to give you more um trouble with that cortisol um cycling um he said stay far away from beer and as we know beer is a grain-based um Mm. alcoholic beverage so that's going to be one that if you've already taken grains out of your diet you're more likely to react to so he sort of comes at it from a a biochemistry perspective in what's going to work best because let's face it if you do decide to drink there's probably a social reason for it so you want to get the most quote unquote bang for your (laughs) But then he sort of talks about the uh, autoimmune side of it as well and what to avoid so that you're not getting those reactions if you are already pretty paleo. So I'm not advocating it. And he says, you know, I know it's not paleo, but I get this asked this question every damn day. So I'm giving you some information to go away with and stop bugging me about this. So um, there you go. There's a few little tips, but I'd highly recommend getting Rob Wolf's book anyway. It is such a cack up. It's a hilarious read. Um, I just love the way he writes. It's brilliant. Yeah, so guys, I think the the point of today's episode is that our goal is always to give you the information that, that we know at the time, and 
to let you make your own decision. We're by no means saying that you you have to do this or you can't do that or whatever, but it's it's just about essentially informed consent. So yeah. if you know this information now, you can go do some research on your own, come up with your why and decide why you are doing what you're doing and, and then just make a decision from there. So uh, thanks for joining us today. And so until next week, check us out on Facebook, share your story and help to grow the Paleo Tribe worldwide. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Hi, this is Dr. Lawrence Tan from Inside the Champion's Mind. So how does spending 10 hours with the Wellness Guys, the Upper Chat Girls, and 500 other wellness-minded people sound to you? Well, on Saturday, August 17th at the Crown in Melbourne is the place to be for our next Wellness Summit. Group discounts are available for 10 or more delegates, so why not bring your colleagues, your friends, and family for even greater experience? For group discounts and to secure your spot, go to thewellnesssummit.com.